0: Welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101, we have a remarkable guest who's here to demystify mindfulness and its transformative potential. Amy Polly, a mindfulness coach, joins us to reveal the truth about mindfulness. It's not just meditation, it's brain training, a versatile tool that can enhance various aspects of our lives. Today, we'll delve into the remarkable story of Amy's own healing journey and how mindfulness played a pivotal role in her transformation We'll explore her unique insights and delve into the wisdom she offers through the Mind Kind Club. Amy is on a mission to debunk the misconceptions surrounding mindfulness. She believes it's not only a means to manage our own mental health, but also a catalyst for change in organizational culture and mental well-being. So if you're curious about the real power of mindfulness and its healing powers, I recommend you listen to this conversation. Would you start by telling us how you discovered mindfulness, and in what ways it helped you? Sure.
1: So I always say this is my origin story. I um, was going through a period of stress, and I couldn't sleep. And I think that's one of the first things that we tend to notice: we aches and pains. And not sleeping very well. So I wasn't falling asleep very well and I wasn't sleeping well. And I always say the specific search engine that you go to in the middle of the night when you want to find some help. So I searched for tips to sleep better or how to fall asleep better, something like that. And this was like well over 10 years ago, by the way. And something popped up that said mindful meditation. So I went on YouTube, gave that a go. Within three nights, I was falling asleep easier. And within a week, I was sleeping more soundly and I'm quite studious. I'm quite like to know the nuts and bolts of things. So at that point, I went, there's something in this. I need to know everything. I signed up to a diploma in meditation, a diploma in mindfulness, bought all the books on Amazon and the rest, they say, is history. And it really did change my life and supporting my mum through depression as well. We went on that journey a little bit together and... It it did change my life, and I absolutely love it, and it is my absolute passion. Um, that's why I talk
0: about it all the time. <laughs> so, when did you decide to become an accountant? And had you already done
1: the mindfulness at this point, or discovered it? No, so no mindfulness at this point. I was only eighteen when I became an accountant. I had a conversation with my parents and said, "I don't want to go to uni. I'm not quite sure what to do." We basically just had a chat about what I might be able to do, and my mum said, "You could do anything. You know, go for a profession." a solicitor or an accountant literally this is this is what happened and I went mm, I could be an accountant I sort of liked maths or whatever and I, so I applied for a junior position to train enrol, role um, and that's what I did for 19 years so when I was about twenty four, twenty five, about that age that's when I found mindfulness yeah. and how did the mindfulness help you in your what was your current state of mind at that point so I was doing my job because it was a job. I enjoyed my career, but I wouldn't ever say that it was. I was passionate about it. So I was doing my job. My relationships have always been quite up and down, um, romantic relationships. And I was going through a period of stress in terms of my relationship was really getting me down. And I felt like that drudgery, I guess, that you sometimes get. I was really stressed out with work. It was, you know, that feeling of just feeling the pressure, not quite knowing where to turn. So then, when I started to look into mindfulness, it was like I had this little light bulb moment of, oh, I'm in control of things, and I can notice how I'm feeling, and I might be able to help myself, and that was like really profound for me because I hadn't really thought about it that before. I hadn't really heard self awareness. Like we hear self awareness all the time now, don't we? But think back, back in the day, um, I'm nearly forty now. I hadn't really heard that so much, and I think it really helped me to separate myself from those things that were causing me stress and for me to take back my power to know that my thoughts were just my thoughts and have that reality check like what is it going on what's causing me stress is that really stressing me out or am I stressing myself out by thinking about that thing so yeah it just really helped me to sort of navigate the natural ups and downs of life I think which we all have you don't have to have a mental ill health diagnosis to be really struggling some of us really struggle but we don't have to have that diagnosis or a specific trauma i always say mental health in between us and that's why i think mindfulness helps so much especially if you are in that in-between stage before we get to the crisis point
0: but you decided to stay in accountancy for what 80 17
1: 18 years yeah
0: and so having discovered mindfulness say after six years of being an accountant what then changed? I mean, did your approach to work change? Did your state of
1: mind change? I'm just curious. So the point came many years later, because as I say, that was my career. And I mean, you all know what it's like. You you go into a career and that's what you've sort of dedicated your time to. And I was determined that, you know, I went through and I qualified as an accountant and then I moved out of practice into industry And then I moved from industry into the public sector. So I worked in the fire service. So when I learned about mindfulness, it was just for me. And then I started to share that with my mum and maybe with some friends and colleagues. I was never really shy about it, but it was just for me. So I had my practice. I had my meditation in the evening. I had my outlook on life. I felt like I had my mindset shifted but I just practiced for me for a, for a long time and then what happened was when I worked in the public sector your reason for getting up in the morning has changed you're not there to earn a bottom line anymore I was there to serve the public so I was part of a a cog in a machine that was serving the public and I think at that point I realized I like people more than spreadsheets there is a different way of being you don't have to be here to be earning a bottom line you can be of service and then I was given opportunities and I think that's one of the things is exploring opportunities and being open to them and I was so when my boss said to me because I think he could see something in me that I was good with people and I'd started managing different departments and he said do you want to get involved in the employee engagement work so I jumped at the chance and got stuck in and absolutely loved it you know talking to people exploring how we could make the service better the organization better and that I think was the catalyst because then I started to look at mindfulness in a different way of how can I share this this has really helped me and I'm seeing people with maybe problems that I might be able to help with what could i do how could i share this so i think that sort of lit something in me and then i started to see mindfulness maybe be a bit more accepted because we've moved on a few years so that was a catalyst and then when i after i had my little boy and i went back to work after suffering with postnatal anxiety and being very open about it we didn't have a mental health and wellbeing strategy and my boss said to me would you like to be strategically for mental health and wellbeing so i jumped at the chance and that's when i got to learn more about mental health talk to people more about mental health and start to do some training in the mental health arena and that's when everything changed after covid i thought life's too short i don't want to be an accountant anymore i want to follow my passion and this is my passion
0: i myself have been sort of handed mindfulness workbooks at various points and i have to say like it was almost like the noise was just too loud in my head and Mm. i think had i had the right person to maybe coach me through it or teach me about it it would have been much more effective and i think There's this misconception in society now that mindfulness is a bit, oh, well, you're just mindful of your thoughts and you just observe them coming and going. And I'm sure there's much, much more to it than that. So will you
1: tell us what mindfulness is and how you teach people about it? I would love to. (laughs) (laughs) So many myths and misconceptions. And you even still see, I've seen adverts of things that say, talk about emptying your mind. Like No one's emptying their mind. That is not the goal. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. It's not about emptying your mind mind. It is about the relationship with what's going on in your mind. So I always explain it like this. Mindfulness simply means awareness. It simply means awareness. We are all aware all of the time. You can't not be aware. Try to stop being aware right now. You can't do it. The thing is that we're very distracted and you could be distracted by your phone. You could be distracted by other people. You could be distracted by work. You'd be distracted by your thoughts. You could be distracted by your emotions. We're distracted. You can train your brain to be consciously aware and when you do that you engage in your prefrontal cortex you strengthen that it is like going to the gym for your mind the more that you practice it the easier it becomes to do in the moment but the reason that mindfulness courses are eight weeks is because to create a new habit it takes you what they say like 66 days or something it is a practice no one's going to come along and say to you all right, you want to get a six pack, this is how you do it. Boom, you've got a six pack. It's the same with your mind. Someone can give you all the guidance, but you do have to practice. But the beautiful thing that I think is that everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. You have to find what works for you. And the other thing, the big thing for me is that we have to meet people where they are. So think about your own journey when someone might have handed you that mindfulness book. How is that meeting you where you are? It isn't. You have to understand where people are and go and meet them there. I'm really far on my journey. It'd be really easy for me to forget where someone who is struggling is and to go oh well you just don't pay attention to your thoughts somebody who is in a situation that is really difficult right now will not be able to do that and I don't think people are ever being fake when they're further on in that journey and they're teaching mindfulness and meditation I just think they forget how difficult it is being I haven't forgot that bit and so I try to really meet people where they are like open the door for them have those little light bulb moments and it's really small things like You will practice mindfulness already if you go to the gym, if you go for a daily walk or if you're a bit of a foodie, for example, you like eating and you want to go and have your favorite meal. You are really present with that thing. Maybe it's like your best mates that you like hanging out with and you actually put your phones down and you're really present with them. We all already practice mindfulness, we just don't often realise it. We think it's this spiritual woo-woo thing that we're going to go and do and we have to take loads of time out to do it and it's not. It is so much more than just meditation. We can do it every day. Or we can sit in meditation. And I think that's what people don't quite understand. Yeah, because what I definitely struggle with is the
0: notion that you can empty out your mind. And I think there's this, again, it can be misconstrued with meditation because I think a lot of people, particularly those who suffer with anxiety or anxiety related disorders, the notion of emptying your mind and sitting there is near to impossible. And as you said, you've got to be met where you're at. And I think in the past when people, for example, have said to me, Oh, you've just got to, you know, really try and just be calm and just sit with it and, and tolerate it and tolerate the anxiety. And you're saying, I can't tolerate the anxiety. I'm about to
1: explode. But how do you help people who are in a really, really anxious state? So there's a couple of things, right? Number one is validation. Absolutely. Validating someone's experience is hugely important it quite irritates me actually when I see you know little quotes that say when you are present there are no problems only peace well I might be really present and there's a really bloody big problem going on you know and the thing you know about emptying your mind if that is your aim for something like mindfulness then you are always going to feel like you're failing because hardly anybody on this planet has ever had an empty mind even the most calm you know, Buddhist monks, one of my teachers was an ex-Buddhist monk. And so I think it's about that. It's about validating where someone's at. I think it's about assessing what the aim is here. And then thirdly, it's about giving practical solutions. So, for example, someone wants to deal with that situation where you're thinking about how to deal with your thoughts and we're going straight into the dealing with these unhelpful thoughts. Well, let's take a step back. Where we actually need to start is just in your everyday life, Let's start practicing a bit of mindfulness, practice creating those new connections, practice engaging that prefrontal cortex. And you can do that when you're brushing your teeth. Your your brain doesn't know what it's doing. It just knows that you're paying attention. So start with things like that, brushing your teeth, going for a walk, whatever it is. Use as many of your senses as possible to be fully present with that thing. And it's not always easy. No one said it's always easy. But the more that you do it, the easier it gets. That's why we call it a practice. And so I think that's one of the main things is where are we going to get started with this? Don't just start by going, right, when when you're deep in that anxious thought, what are you going to do? I mean, I've been there. I never had anxiety before I had a little boy. I had postnatal anxiety. And it absolutely floored me. If someone had come to me at that point, and I had my practice then, but I still needed help. I still needed those reminders. And I still needed to take some time to just be with what was going on and validate what was going on. So, yeah, I think they're the, the three main things is validating where someone is at. And then the second thing is really assessing what your aim is here. And the third thing is practical solutions. Yeah, because you speak a lot about
0: that self-awareness piece and, and the absolutely vital of, of us being aware of what's going on and as you say having postnatal anxiety sometimes you need to actually just sit with the anxiety and you need to sit with that feeling of actually this is really shit and mm. I'm feeling really anxious and or I'm feeling really sad and I'm feeling really angry and actually being able to validate your emotions rather than being like right now I need to be mindful and I need to zone out and I can't feel like this because I've got a couple of friends who, you know, whenever they get into that highly anxious state, it's like they're on the phone. Oh, I don't know why I feel this anxious. Oh, there's something wrong. And it's actually just sometimes we're humans. We're not human doings. We're human beings. And we just need to be and we need to sit with that crap because as you say everyone goes through it i once saw one doctor and i said you know i just want to get rid of these thoughts i don't want to have these obsessive thoughts in my head i don't want to have these and he just said well you might as well be dead then because only a dead person doesn't think and have thoughts and although it was kind of quite
1: a brutal start realization like jesus (laughs) um you know it's true isn't it? and i think that you know we're talking about that validating this this is the thing with mindfulness and this is the thing with self-awareness it's okay to have these thoughts. It's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to sit with them. It's not a clinical investigation. And why is this happening? Where is this coming from? Curiosity is one of my most favorite words in the world. It's just getting curious. Even when I just say that to you, get curious. You feel, it's gentle. It sort of makes your shoulders drop. As you mm. say, just be curious. It just makes your shoulders drop and you think, okay, I can see what's going on here. The thing with mindfulness and being able to start to create these gaps, and it does take practice, but being able to pay attention to what's going on, to have that self-awareness, to be able to take a moment of reflection, it just gives you a wafer-thin piece of space to go, okay, there's a choice here. And the thing is not to get rid of ever having a negative or anxious thought, feeling or emotion. It's about not going down that spiral. And that's the difference, I think. And that's why I think mindfulness is so powerful, because you can use it more proactively to hopefully prevent yourself getting to where you don't want to be. But it doesn't get rid of being human. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I've actually I found
0: that dialectical behavioural therapy, DBT, which does incorporate large components of mindfulness, to be incredibly helpful, because as you said, it's that it's that famous Viktor Frankl quote that I often say, it's that tiny space between a stimulus and response. And in that space is our ability to change. Mm -hmm. And I often use that with my OCD because often I get triggered and the obsessive thought comes in. It's like, right, I can do the compulsion now, or I can breathe and I can sit with this for like five, 10 seconds, knowing that the curve of anxiety is going to peak and then it will plateau and then it will slowly subside. And if I do that, I know that I'm beating the illness. Like mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to move further on or I can momentarily fix this anxiety by doing the compulsion, but knowing that I'm just basically getting the disease to do push ups in my brain. Mm. So if you do practice the mindfulness and if you do really strengthen that prefrontal cortex, it's amazing how slowly that gap gets bigger and bigger. And you do start to be like, OK, I've got a choice here, actually, instead of by default. And I see it with so many people and I've got a family family particularly the women in my family, you know, they just kind of go by default, on the go, all the time, all the time. And it's like, there's no awareness. Mm. There's absolutely, And it, it's frustrating when you're the you're <laughs> practicing, so gaining that awareness. But even so, it, it's incredibly interesting to observe those who have gone down the route that we're going down of
1: actually trying to become masters of your mind. Um, but and we, and we don't haven't. have any help with that, do we? The society that we're in at the moment... A lot of people are on fast forward. We are on the go all of the time. We're very disconnected. We don't have much human connection. And still there are misconceptions and, you know, myths around things like mindfulness. And so we don't have that support. You know, how are we supposed to do this? We're not teaching it in schools. Another passion of mine is is trying to get us into schools. We don't teach this in schools. We still make out sometimes like it's a little bit weird to do this work where in fact actually it's something that everybody should have having self-awareness and the ability to be able to understand what's going on and like you say I like that you know mastering your mind is is powerful and imagine how much healthier society would be and how much healthier relationships would be and how much hopefully healthier our kids will be if we actually made this just part of life This isn't a weird thing or an additional thing to do. It's just something that we all do. We take the time to look after ourselves and to reflect and to see what knocks us and to see what lifts us. And having all of that self-awareness and self-reflection is really empowering. And I'm far from blooming perfect, but I feel like I have all of that. Today is a very emotional day for me. My little ones starting school. You know, I've had the end of a relationship and I'm really upset about a lot of things. My, you know, it's hard running a business. There's a lot of emotions there, but I'm really aware of it. So the first thing I did this morning was reach out to a friend. Because I know that's one of the tools that I have in my toolkit. And then I had a few minutes of breathing meditation before I got on the train to come and speak to you. And it's just little things like that, little everyday things that we can do. It's not this big, you know, woo-woo-ha-ha thing that we have to do. But the thing that I would say about mindfulness as well is that you don't only have to use it when things are crap. Use mindfulness when things are good. So when you're in a moment that is sunny or you're in a moment that's joyful or a moment that's fun or a moment that's very relaxed or content, use your mindfulness practice in those moments as well feel where that is in your body get used to feeling those feelings as well and the other thing i've been talking about recently is the glimmers so the opposite to triggers are glimmers so we all have triggers but we all have glimmers but we have naturally a negativity bias we know that the human brain has a negativity bias but we can start to consciously notice our glimmers so they're the things that lift you they're the things that do bring a bit of sunshine they're the things that make you feel good because we're very quick to notice and hone in on the triggers but why not try and do that with your glimmers as well and again it's just that little mindset shift and just a little bit of a perspective shift can really make a difference to your just your everyday life hurt to healing has partnered with brown advisory
0: to bring you this podcast Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. So will you tell us a bit about how your teaching works and how you structure your courses? And and because I'm, you know, from your website, it looks like you do a phenomenal amount
1: and also how you deliver your talks but you know everyone always says about niching down I'm like hmm what's that (laughs) Mindfulness is my, mental health is my niche, I suppose. So I run my eight week courses for whoever wants them really. So my one-to-one clients are always eight week courses. So we start right at that beginning that we were talking about before and I support them through that journey. And, you know, I don't call myself a coach, I'm a teacher because I am teaching skills and I'm teaching practical things and almost like teaching different ways to see things, different perspectives and of course, meditations as well along the way. That's really fulfilling, you know, the one to one work is is, because people usually come with quite a specific situation or something they've been through. And that's been amazing. And it's one of the most rewarding things when you see someone come in. And the lady that I've just finished with, actually, I said to her last week, we've come to the end of the course, and I said, you are glowing. I I really want you to know that I can see that in you. You you are glowing. And it's been lovely to to watch people do the work. Because I don't do it. I'm always like, oh, you know, I didn't do anything. (laughs) Um, Even though they were very complimentary. Because people do the work. They just sometimes need someone to hold their hand. So that's been amazing. And then with the corporate stuff, it it really depends. I do quite a bit of combined workshops around mental health awareness in my pink rebel way that isn't all pastel colours and calm conversations. A bit of mental health awareness. I talk about sort of the work I did in the fire service was very much around the strategy and the action plan. But I talk about that as an organisation and as an individual, um, because I think organisations need to remember that you've got both—you've got a business and you've got people—and then I move on to mindfulness. So, introduction to mindfulness, really giving people some useful tools, which hopefully will lead to doing a longer course. And then, yeah, my speaking, which has just been amazing. So, coming on lovely podcasts like this and going and talking at events, which has just been wonderful. And I think, you know, people sometimes downplay the power of a speaker because they're like, "Oh, it's just a one-off thing," but if you are wanting to open that door to people, you can't go always go full in like feet first with an eight week course or expect people want to, to want to sign up to those things. Because as we know, there's lots of misconceptions. So seeing the light bulb moments for people when you've just given a talk for 30 minutes or an hour is amazing because maybe you've just explained something differently to how someone's heard it before maybe i'll just give you homework to go and brush your teeth and pay attention and people want to come up and talk to you a bit more about that so the speaking for me has been just as amazing as doing the courses because of seeing those light bulb moments and and opening that door for people and being the the gateway drug to more mindfulness and meditation (laughs) Mm,
0: no and it's incredible and your yeah work with your business mental health rebellion is just yeah so admirable if i could one day get to that point i'd be yeah very very happy (laughs) I do think it's hard and it's a real challenge, particularly in those big corporates where you can deal with some, I don't want to obviously stereotype, but some pretty stubborn characters who say, well, you know, I am the way I am and that's just it. And if you can open that door for them and
1: give them an insight into living a different way, then... And sometimes it doesn't take much, right? So I think about, I worked in the fire service for seven years. It is a male-dominated environment, and we started having those conversations about mental health. So I've been there, and, you know, I've always been me, who <laughs> so have always been sort of, you know, brightly coloured and, and rocking up, you know, having a bit of a laugh and stuff. And they would joke to me and go, oh, what are you going to do with us today, Amy? And I always tell this story because it's one of my favourites, but one of the guys came in, and, and we, were, we were we were sort of pals, and, and he came and he went, oh. What are we doing today? He sort of sat down and it was like, I think it was a middle manager's conference. So I did some mindfulness and some meditation. And when he walked out the door, he went, yeah, that was good. That was, you should do it more often. And then and off he went and I was like, winning. <laughs> but I think that that's the thing is that not everybody has to be like holding hands or spilling their guts or, or you know, doing things in a certain way. It's about finding what works for people. But I think what happens is, especially in the corporate world, especially in certain professions, especially in maybe male dominated environments, is that people have not been given the opportunity to be exposed to some of this stuff. And they have a perception of it that they've never had challenged before. And I hope that I come in and challenge some of those perceptions and hopefully they'll think about things in a bit of a different way. And so far, so good.
0: Do you think the mind, I mean, you've alluded to mindfulness being taught to everyone. So I think everyone can benefit from it. But do you think specifically for people with mental health issues, it should be part
1: of all treatment plans? I do. But I also think that it should be part of our proactive preventative care. So we should have mindfulness as a practice this is why I'm so passionate about it in schools and by the way I always say that with my ADHD brain if I can do it anybody can do it it's about what finding what works for you not beating yourself up for having a chatty mind for example during a meditation and going well that was a rubbish meditation I couldn't do it that's not what it's about because I have a very chatty mind it's about the relationship with it and so I think that we need it proactively we should use it as preventative care. But absolutely, the reason that it's on the NHS website is because it is really useful. The research has shown for such things as anxiety and depression. And also something like mindfulness, you're being taught it. It's a skill that you're being taught and then you have it. No no one's doing it for you. So once you have it, even if you don't use it, even if it doesn't always work, even if you forget about it and then you come back to it, you actually do always have that knowledge. You have those practices. You're giving something to someone maybe that's why I love it so much because I feel like I'm giving someone a gift mm. what you've worked with me and it's nice that I'm holding your hand but actually you've got that forever so as a something to prescribe someone isn't that amazing it's something that you will always have I want to ask you a bit about your ADHD and how mindfulness helps you manage that so I think and I know we've mentioned it a lot but it genuinely is one of the biggest things is the self-awareness so I mean we have to remember here as well that I grew up 37 years I didn't even know why I struggled with certain things I actually thought that everybody had a really chatty mind when they were watching a, a film or struggled with you know rejection or I sometimes thought why why do my emotions feel so big why why am I having this reaction because ADHD is much more than just being energetic but I never knew that and, and you've got to think you know I grew up I just thought, this is me. I didn't know that there was anything. I actually thought that everybody else had a mind that was like mine until you start learning about it. And then I realised, oh, you don't think how I think or this isn't happening for you when you're doing X, Y and Z. So it was all very... A sort of a grieving process when I found out because you think how could things have been different but I'm a mindfulness teacher so I didn't stay there for too long because you can't change the past and so really it does come back to I already was practicing mindfulness and I think maybe the reason I teach it in a bit of a rebellious way and you know I teach it maybe slightly differently is partly because I found it difficult at the beginning partly probably due to the fact that I have ADHD I didn't always you know enjoy people saying Welcome. Arrive into the room. I'd be like, Whoa, what's going on? Why is everything so quiet? You know, and I but I didn't know how to AHD at the time. So I think now, with all of the knowledge that I've got And I've had to learn about ADHD, right? I didn't know anything about it. Just because I've got it doesn't mean I know anything about it. So I've had to learn. And I think that the biggest thing for me is self-awareness and self-compassion. Two of the biggest things we learn when we go through mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't just about paying attention to something. It's also about the relationship you have with yourself. And the self-compassion element of mindfulness is huge. So letting go of beating myself up for the way that I am. Letting go of like making excuses. All of that has been one of the biggest things from my mindfulness practice, I think, that's helped me since my ADHD diagnosis, self-awareness and self-compassion, because it's just the way my brain works. And so I need to learn to work with it. And that's what I've chosen
0: to do it is that and, and i i suffer with the same thing i mean my mind never switches off and like you i i never i never understood how people could tolerate silences or it was almost like i had to fill that gap and if someone was i could tell someone was feeling awkward at a table i would immediately want to fix their feelings and if you know a teacher got cross, it was always my fault and it was always about and, and understanding that actually that's about you mm-hmm. and that's not about other people and i found it very very challenging being a lawyer because Every time I went into the office and someone would have some outburst or someone be in a bad mood, I was immediately of the opinion that it was all due to me. I had done something wrong. I was an awful employee and I was going to be fired on the spot. And I think you just, you know, <laughs> and and, and the, when you find like-minded people, and that's why the podcast has been so incredible for me, is that suddenly like, there are so many other people who have the, are wired in the same way and yet we are wired differently to the majority. So it's sort of that fine balance, isn't it? And and it's just like you said, it's having that self compassion. And it's very hard to tell someone when you're in the thick of a really crippling mental health issue, Oh, you've just got to try and have a bit of self compassion, but slowly, slowly, those lights will start going on. And
1: it's like, and uh, I agree with you because it is that thing of we see so much stuff online, and even with the best intentions, that if you're in something, you just think, oh, oh you know, you, you don't, you don't want to see. Yeah, self compassion, that's great. But we do still have to talk about these things because it is absolutely true. Again, it just comes back to the delivery and where you're meeting people. But, you know, there's going to be people, I guess, listening to this that we're on a spectrum, right, with Amantel. There's going to be some people that go, oh, yeah, I I need to be better at self-compassion. I can do that. Okay, let's look into that. There's going to be some people that are going to be thinking, I can't do that. What is she talking about? All of that is valid. It's about now thinking about, okay, so where do we start with that? You have to think about that for yourself. Where do you start? And if something makes you feel crap or something is triggering, don't look at that stuff. Don't go with that thing. It's like when I say to someone listening to a meditation – if their voice annoys you turn it off and go and find another one don't grit your teeth and try and get through it you have to find what works for you Mm.
0: so true and it is baby steps even if it's like you're still gritting your teeth through something that you know isn't good for you and you're still stuck in that vicious spiral whether it's like addiction and eating disorder still giving into compulsions of the ocd like of course but if you like resist one of those things out of a thousand each yep. day you that's progress yeah and i think it's really hard. like we were saying earlier about the gratitude it's just being grateful for being able to do one of those things because tomorrow it might be two it might not be one but it's it shows you it's evidence that so you can do it and yep. as you said
1: it's that process of reprogramming and rewiring your brain which is possible yeah and we, but we think that everything needs to be oh, we're going to make the change, everything's going to be better, and it's all going to be better. You know, when I think about when I was in that really tough time with postnatal anxiety, and at the time, I just felt like every day I was failing. I wasn't getting out of the house, or, you know, is my child happy? Is, And it can be really tempting to go, a couple of things didn't go to plan that day because of my anxiety. Oh, well, that's been a crap day. But then when I started to take the time to reflect, I'd be like, but actually... I've fed him. I've washed him. I have fed myself. I washed myself. He's gurgling on the floor, happy, playing with a toy. There were still things that I didn't do. There were still things that I felt like I didn't achieve that day. But actually, like you say, it's just finding those glimmers. It's just finding those small little things. You can do hard things. We There's so many people talking about the things that they've done and, and then thriving. And I think that that should be inspiration for everybody exactly and i think yeah as you said hopefully you and i are doing work
0: which will inspire people and give people the tools that they need to move forward it's been such a pleasure talking to you amy and i yeah i hope that this will be the first of a few conversations on the podcast and uh yeah thank you so much for coming thank
1: you it went so quickly thank you
0: (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of healing 101 Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258.